Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello guys and welcome to another episode of Girl Next Door Podcast. It's Renee Bennett here and I'm super glad to be with you on another Wednesday. Thanks for joining me and welcome to anybody who perhaps is new. Lucky you, you've got 301 episodes to go back and catch up on if you would like more of this content. Uh, Today guys, we're going to continue a little bit about the uh, stuff we started talking about last week, which was the digital footprint. I want to go in a little bit of a different direction, um, but I've called today, Are We Creating a Tower of Babel? Of course, for those of you that have a that are Christians or have a Christian worldview, you would know what I'm talking about with the Tower of Babel when God had told the people to go out and to fill the earth, and instead they decided to build a tower up towards God. And um, of course, we know that it was an act of rebellion, and God eventually just took down that tower and scattered the people people across the earth. And so I wonder if we're kind of heading to that time again, right? We're thinking, with well, we're acting as if we are complete gods and we've got this whole thing sorted and we're creating this incredible uh, digital tower, I guess, worldwide and globally. But I wonder what God thinks about it. And I wonder what is going to happen to our world as this continues. That is what we're going to talk about today. Now, it turns out that the digital uh, footprint or the digital ID that I talked about last week is really the tip of the iceberg. Today, we're going to go into a a direction kind of similar but different. We're going to look at smart cities. Now, this is different to the 15-minute cities, and some of you are probably going, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't heard of a smart city. I haven't heard of a 15-minute city. Both of them are different. We're going to put our focus on smart cities today. But just before we do, guys, I felt so oh, what's the word, exonerated last week when I put out this episode last Wednesday on the digital ID and the digital footprint. So here's me rolling this out on Wednesday and lo and behold, as I wake up on that day, ready to post my little video that I post for you guys on my social media, I'm like, what's going on? My phone is SOS. I can't do anything on my phone. And luckily I had um, pre-scheduled the um, this episode, well, last week's episode. So you guys got that. But not that anyone, as you would find out if you were on Optus, none of you guys, including myself, could download that and listen because it turns out, yes, there was the Optus outage. So I woke up to SOS and Cameron scrambling around going, what's going on? I've got to go to my local cafe. Is this just us? Is it everyone? And, you know, look, if I had had maybe doubts like, oh, am I being a bit too full on talking about a digital ID? Well, I felt really justified by the end of that day because I saw the result with my own eyes, right, of what happens when the internet goes out, which is exactly what I was talking about in the episode. So honestly, it's like it was prophetic. I don't know. Uh, So just a couple of years ago, I feel like if the internet had gone out, now, of course, we're only talking a certain number of people, whoever had Optus as their provider, 
it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. And, you know, it only affected in this case 10 million of us, which still is almost a third of our population. But it became really evident really quickly how dependent that we've become on the internet to the point where we almost don't know how to function without it. Like for me, I literally couldn't do any work, right? Like all of my files and everything and all the stuff that I do with the Youth Alive Academy is all on my Google Drive. Well, I couldn't access that. Uh, I couldn't contact anyone or call anyone. The students couldn't upload assessments. They also couldn't contact their lecturer to know that they couldn't upload assessments. I went to the Westfield in the morning and the entire Westfield near me runs off of Optus. So that was affected the train system in the whole of Melbourne stopped because they use Optus. Major hospitals, many major hospitals rely on Optus, so that interfered with their daily running. Uh, a lot of businesses couldn't function. I had to go and get cash out because a lot of businesses had on their doors cash only, which means, by the way, there would have been a massive loss of revenue for certain businesses like my butcher. They couldn't take FPOS, a donut world, important things of life, guys, near me. Uh, that's Again, it's their livelihood, right? That's the whole day's uh, um, of, of money for them, of intake that they didn't get unless people had cash. And of course, who has cash? Now, one guy even said that all of the lights in his entire house didn't work because they are attached to Google. So he couldn't even turn the lights on. So 10 million Australians were affected, but really only for 12 hours. But for those of us who were affected, our house internet was actually down for a couple of days. It felt like forever. Now, young people in particular don't know how to survive without it because they haven't known a world without being connected to the internet. And of course, our whole life is attached. And so I felt very justified in my episode about, is this a good idea to have a, di a digital footprint where if that goes down, everything goes down? So when I went to Academy the next day, I thought I would try a little experiment as I love to do with my students. I got them to all grab their phones, their smartwatches and their laptops. I go get gather them all up, put them in the room next door and come back. And so we did just one session, which is an hour with zero technology. Now, it was really funny at first. They were really on edge. They came back in. Normally, I almost thought, oh my gosh, their phones, their smartwatches, their laptops almost act like pacifiers. You know, when I say a pacifier, it's the American word for like a dummy in that it soothes them. Well, they didn't have that to settle them and they were buzzing and chatting and very unsettled. So once they settled, I go, okay, guys, we wheeled out the whiteboard and I said, let's brainstorm all the areas of our lives mm -hmm. that would be um, affected if the whole internet goes down. Because well, of course, we only had a third of it go down. But if the whole internet uh, went down, what would be affected? And so I got them to do all the thinking and all the brainstorming. Guys, our whiteboard was chockers. We have become so reliant on the internet and young people don't know any difference. So I feel like they would have had a harder time uh, trying to work their way around solving different problems that would come up during the day. And for many of them, it actually rocked them. Um, because they were like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. Like so much would be affected. Like even down to things like 
um, you know, if the internet went down, well, how would we get our pay? Because pays are transferred via the internet. How would they know their work roster? Like I said, the whiteboard was absolutely chockers. So the question is, if our whole lives are attached to a digital footprint and there's a glitch in the system or there's a cyber attack or for whatever reason, right, the technology goes down, which in this case was something to do with a software update, the world wouldn't know how to cope. We would literally be all cut off from everything. It would come to a grinding halt like it did for those of us who were on Optus last Wednesday. So government and big corporation and big tech have an awful lot of agency in our lives. And last Wednesday, just 12 hours proved that. So as convenient as the digital footprint is, if there is a cyber attack or the glitch or the system finds itself in the wrong hands or the hands of people like like the WEF, who I talked about last week, who have a vision to use it to manage people like they do businesses, we are on a very slippery slope. Are we very quickly losing agency over our lives? I was even disappointed with myself. I was like, oh my gosh, so much of my world is attached to being able to get onto the internet. Everything is, I mean, all my photos even, right? Like I've got like 20,000 photos up in the iCloud. Like years ago, we'd have copied you know, copied versions of that. And I know that, you know, they can also be um, lost or, you know, um, destroyed in things like fire and flood. But either way, it seems to be a risk. And maybe the digital footprint is not the utopia that we think it is. Now, like I said, the digital footprint really is the beginning because it turns out that we are slowly being moved uh, to our whole lives being connected without our knowledge. So here we go, guys. Have you ever heard of something called the Internet of Things? Weird name, right? The Internet of Things. I guarantee you, guys, you heard it here first. You are going to hear a lot more about this in years to come. The Internet of Things is the way that things are going, and this is what is underpinning, underpinning the smart cities that I'm about to tell you about. But basically, in simple term, terms, the Internet of Things is a concept where all of the physical objects in our daily lives are going to be fitted with a sweep of sensors, which will then be connected to one another and to the internet for the purpose of basically mass data collection and being able to collect data straight away and in real time. Now, we already have this to a degree, right? Like we've got laptops and desktops connected to the internet, our iPhones, smartphones. And then this, of course, has extended in our homes to things like smart TV or Google Home, Alexa, I mean, electric meters, right? Smart meters. Um, uh, it's extended even to medical devices. I know um, I know someone who's got a pacemaker and their pacemaker is attached for, I don't even know how, an internet, blue, a chip, I don't know, but it's attached to their doctor. So if there was an issue with their heart rate, the doctor gets like alerted. Um, we can have things like, uh, I think traffic lights are already connected, but when we're talking more than this, right? So it's almost like we've been sold a soft, a soft sell that we're getting used to more and more things. I mean, guys, you know, I love essential oils, right? One of my essential oils diffusers can be like attached to an app on my phone. Now I chose not to because I'm like, seriously, I can go and switch it on. But we, we're more and more getting the ability for everything that we use in our everyday lives to be a, a smart device. So now we're talking 
even more than this now. We're talking our environment, physical objects or things, which is why it's called the Internet of Things, being embedded with sensors, software and technologies for the purpose of connecting and exchanging data with other systems and devices. I'll explain it to you a bit more when I unroll this uh, um, concept of smart cities. So in other words, we're talking about a network of physical devices. So examples would be cars being connected and monitored from an external device, including, by the way, the ability for a car to be driven from our device. Uh, We're talking, you know, wearables and devices that track our health and then send alerts before we even know that there's like an issue, like I said, with the um, person that I know with their pacemaker. But even for this to be extended to things like an ambulance automatically being alerted and sent straight to you. Um, But of course, the example we want to look at today is smart cities. Have you heard of these guys? Do you know what they are? Do you know that smart cities are actually being rolled out all around us right now. Smart cities are being rolled out in councils and suburbs and definitely throughout whole cities all around Australia. Most people don't know this. Do you know that smart city initiatives, I would say, if you looked up your city council and then smart initiatives or smart cities, I guarantee that there will be something right near you. So I live in Brisbane, so definitely Brisbane, Logan, and uh, the Gold Coast. The Gold Coast aimed to be the number one digital city in the world. Look out, Gold Coast. I don't know how that's going to go because a lot of people there don't, you know, they're, they're there because they want to be more in nature, not connected to more uh, to more digital footprints. But we're talking everywhere. Adelaide, Melbourne, of course, uh, have already got it up and running. We're talking Perth, New South Wales, even the Northern Territory. You will find councils and suburbs, most likely your suburb, all around, right where you live, are moving their way toward being smart cities. It's being signed, sealed and delivered without most of us knowing what they even are. All that council has to do is register and apply for funding and there's a lot of funding. So for me here in my suburb, in two different places, one near um, a tra- um, like a traffic inter- light intersection and then further up the road near my local um, service station, there are these super tall poles with one camera sitting on top that have suddenly appeared. And I mean, they're way tall. They're way taller than the streetlights. And we're like, what the heck is this? What is this? And I keep like Cameron and I are looking at it, taking photos of it. I'll put, I'll put a video of it on my Instagram for you. I'm like, what is this? I have a feeling it's connected to the smart city. So three things we'll look at. What are smart cities? Secondly, who is behind them? And then thirdly, should we be concerned? So they're the three things we'll look at. What are they? Who's behind them? And should we be concerned? So basically, what are they? These are cities capable of solving their own problems with smart technologies, okay? So, of course, we're talking by using the Internet of Things, right? So, smart cities are using high-tech programs installed and operated, not just by Australian companies, but by international companies. And basically, there's a bunch of smart technologies being rolled out throughout our cities, right? How? Through all these physical devices, through this Internet of Things, 
collecting real-time immediate data in order to solve problems with immediate solutions where you live, okay? Now, the Internet of Things is what's going to connect everything in our environment environment, so these smart cities can be rolled out. So they're the two things you've learned, Internet of Things and smart cities. So it's actually like a suite of sensors deployed to collect electronic data from and about people being you and me and infrastructure so that they can improve like the efficiency and the quality of life where we live, right? So, oh my gosh, guys, I've got so many questions about this. Like, why are they doing it? What's it being used for? Where's this being rolled out? Do we need this? So giving examples is probably the best way to explain it. Now, a smart city can include so many things and it's constantly evolving, right? But for a city or a suburb to engage, they basically can apply for grant money towards a particular smart city project. So let me quickly play this for you. I want you to listen to this guy over in Canada who's explaining about a smart city that was rolled out in Canada in Toronto. Um, and and it was called Keyside, Q-U-A-Y, Side. And it was known as the Sidewalk Labs. Have a listen to this guy explaining it. Traffic. On the website of Sidewalk Labs, it says that they wanted a, quote, new model of inclusive urban development. But of course, the language that is most often used is that, you know, it would be a smart neighborhood or a smart city. What made it a smart city? It was going to be a dense neighborhood that they said would be built from the Internet up. Uh, there would be a lot of sensors that would be gathering information about, you know, people and vehicles moving through public space. There would be a lot of sensors monitoring energy consumption and water usage. And Where are those sensors exactly? Everywhere, in all sorts of places. So you heard that guy talking about how there would be sensors in all sorts of places and they're all collecting data so that it can be analysed. So let me give you some examples. We're talking... And these are being rolled out already right around Australia. Sensors on public bins to detect when they're full and they need emptying, so an alert will happen. Sensors to detect the air pollution levels. Sensors to collect and then use the data to optimise traffic flow. For example, sensors on traffic lights, right, to adjust traffic flow depending on the time of day. Uh, Using data to identify areas where recycling is low so that steps can be taken to improve it. Naughty, naughty neighbourhood if your recycling's low. Uh, Sensors to monitor public spaces to respond to incidences. So that's not a bad thing. Uh, It can include smart light columns, which can adjust street lighting to reduce street crime and can even include sound monitoring to detect people in distress, which they can then notify or the smart lights, should I say, would notify the police. We're talking environmental sensors. These are already in Darwin. These are measuring the humidity, the rainfall, carbon dioxide levels, temperature and noise levels. Here in Brisbane, we have a flooded roads smart warning system. There's 20 signs here around Brisbane with sensor technology that provides real-time information on the status of roads, right, when they're flooded to warn people not to drive through them. Uh, We're talking sensors on barbecues and uh, public barbecues and toilets in public areas to improve service response time. Uh, You'll be able to track people's individual health data through their wearables to provide more personalized care. So um, 
that can even include eventually things like, um, you know, appointments being made for you. Um, so it, it gets pretty full on. The Great Barrier Reef Project installed a network of environmental sensors in urban waterways to collect data on water quality and to monitor the chemical load. So then the public can access this data with the aim to engage schools and then give students better environmental education. So these are all so many different examples. In Sydney, there are 22 new fully automated self-driven trains. I don't know if I want to get onto a train where there's not a human driving it. Um, they want to do things like ensure high-speed high internet access for everyone, right? So that, that this is their, their word about equity. Everything's about equity. They want to have sensors to quickly identify leaks in pipes, for example, to ensure quicker fixing and less uh, quicker fixing times and less water loss. Um, smart meters can will be tracking tracking home usage of water and electricity. They already do that, by the way. On my bill, I get a little. Um, there's a little graph of how how other people in my in my area how much water they use compared to my family, and then how much I use this year compared to last year. It's always shaming you, right? It always seems to be more more, even though I swear we don't change our water habits at all. Um, they want to put smart sensors on buildings to quickly identify, uh, you know, cracks um, or on buildings or bridges so they can be inspected and maintained. Um, and of course, there will be technology like there already is partly, but on license plates, uh, body cameras, surveillance cameras, more surveillance cameras to help keep the public safer and detect criminals, etc., etc. So it's really all about making the daily lives of our citizens easier and safer and more environmentally friendly using all these smart technologies. It's also about making our cities sustainable as well as livable, more innovative, and this beautiful word, inclusive. Okay, before we look at a few questions behind this, let's look at who is behind smart cities. Now, if you look just here in Australia, it was in 2016 that Malcolm Turnbull first rolled out the plans for Australia to engage in a smart cities and suburbs initiative. But again, like I said last week, we've got to lift our eyes out of just Australia. Do you think this is just happening in Australia? Absolutely not. You can see that this is, again, being rolled out all around the world. And it's funny because when I was researching it, often the articles I was reading was saying, oh, in Canada, uh, the Smart Cities Initiative was rolled out in, guess what, 2016. So the same time that our country was rolling it out, you know, it wasn't a Malcolm Turnbull uh, idea, Liberal Party idea. It was a global agenda yet again, which I talked about last week. We're not doing this because we're like, you know, this supposed smart country. Um, it, this is happening across the world in sync. Guess who's leading the global charge? I bet you can't guess after my last week's episode. Yes, I'll give you a second. Say it out loud, guys. The WEF, right? The World Economic Forum in partnership, of course, like usual with various other organizations. One of those organizations is called the Global Alliance for Smart City Technology. The Global Alliance for Smart City Technology. So the World Economic Forum, the WEF, in collaboration with with the G20 presidency will lead the global effort to advance the responsible and ethical use of smart city technologies. That's what it says on the Global Alliance website. 
So the WEF, along with the G20, are leading the global effort. It also said on the website, smart city technologies can help decrease traffic congestion, combat crime, improve resilience during national disasters, didn't help Hawaii lately, and reduce greenhouse emissions. Without proper governance, though, these technologies pose significant risks. Wonder if Australia's looked at that before they're going rolling it out, notably to our privacy and security. To ensure data collected in public places is used safely and ethically, the Global Smart Cities Alliance will develop, pilot, and collectively implement new global policy standards. I don't know if those standards have been rolled out. I don't know if anyone's adhering to them. But look, you might be thinking, Renee, some of this is good, right? And I agree, right? We want citizens to be safer. We want crime to be reduced. We want to look after our planet better. We should be addressing pollution and chemicals in waterways, right? We want to look after our planet. planet. Uh, but just like having a digital footprint, there are benefits, but I think on this one as well, we need to have a healthy sense of skepticism. So let's roll into the third part of today. So we've looked at what are smart cities. And like I said, it's really endless. It's really endless with all of the ideas that they want to achieve. And all of the different councils around Australia have all applied for funding for all sorts of different ideas. Okay. So that's why there's so many different, um, you know, ways, creative ways that this could look. Secondly, we've looked at who's behind it. It's not an Australian agenda, guys. There's a global agenda here, like with everything else. And of course, the WEF are involved. And of course, we know that they are in partnership with all these big tech, big, uh, you know, pharmaceutical, all of that stuff. They're all connected. So we need to have a healthy sense of skepticism. So number three, what are the concerns and should we be concerned? Now, of course, like we said, the purpose of smart cities is to develop better infrastructure, right? To improve the economy in our local areas, to help develop the environment and social and cultural development too, to keep people safer. But this is the thing. It completely relies on the connect collection of data. Like there is one, you are one big walking plot of data. You are, they're constantly collecting data, right? Now in many forms, the, the data could be that they're looking at your phone and where you are. The data can mean your credit card and where you're spending money. The data can be the cell phone signal from a cell tower. It, the data could be visual CCTV imaging of you passing through a certain space, right? Like the data is endless. The data is what's happening in the climate, what the temperature is, what the humidity is, how much water you're using, how much electricity you're using, the waste that's coming out of a certain suburb. Uh, basically, people's every move and habits, health, everything is going to be measured, 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 measured. You are just one big piece of data. So who's collecting it, right? Now, this is being scrutinized in places like Toronto, Netherlands, Barcelona. And they're basically saying, well, look, this can't be done without us, um, you know, having some sort of ethical standards, but guys, in my mind, they've already breached the ethical standards because this technology is already being rolled out all around us, right, without our knowledge. So where's the ethics here? So are we trading 
all of this convenience and infrastructure and all of this other stuff, are we trading all that for our privacy? Have we given consent to our data being taken? I haven't. Where's this data going? I've got so many questions. Let me give you my questions. Where's this data going? Who is analyzing it? What else is this data being used for? What about data breaches? Where's our protection? Like we already know Facebook was hauled over the coals for selling our private information. What if this information gets in the wrong hands? What if it's misused? Where is it being stored? Like all this data is being collected. Who, who's actually the ones? Like which companies have, have got all of this data? Are they privy to this data? Are they using it for themselves? What if the technology all stops working, right? Like what if the internet goes down again? Literally our entire city, suburb, your life, my life will come to a complete standstill. We just saw that for 12 hours with Optus. And why is this being rolled out and funded with billions of dollars by our government without us barely knowing a thing? And if every other country in the world is rolling it out at the same time, what's the global agenda here? I have been thinking about this for days. Ask Cameron. It's actually kept me awake um, because I was meant to write a sermon this week, and I did. I wrote a good sermon, guys. Um, But at the same time, I was thinking about all of this, and and the more that I knew and the more I researched, the more I was like, I'm not feeling very good about this. And I was actually shocked at how much it's been rolled out without us knowing. I, I didn't even know. Um, And the reason that I just feel yuck about this is because this is a fast moving train and we're already on it and we didn't ask to be on it. We're so reliant and comfortable. I really can't see people en masse giving up all of this comfort. Like I know one person said to me last week when Optus went down, it was a young person Two people, two young people actually said this. Do you know what concerned them the most? They're like, oh, I had to reset all of my emojis, my favorite emojis. And I was just like, oh my Lord, I've got no words for that because believe me, there's going to be much bigger problems than resetting your favorite emojis. Like I can see it as plain as day, right? Like this is just the perfect tool to track us, I mean, how far is this going to go, right? Like, are they going to be able to use this to make us to comply to certain things, to, you know, mandate behaviors, to exercise control? Like, what if the air pollution registers us too high, right? Like, I agree that that's not a good thing, right? But, But what if the council decide, well, we need to bring it down, so they're going to mandate, I don't know, cars to to stop for a couple of days. I, I don't, I don't know, but, or what if they're like, okay, our air pollution's way too high. So we're now going to ban petrol cars right now. Most of us have got a petrol car. Now, again, if you think, oh my gosh, that's too far fetched. Well, they've already made that decision in Canberra. I think it's by 2030. So we're only talking another like six years away that they won't be allowed to have uh, petrol cars in Canberra. Like what if your water usage in your house is deemed too high? That would be my house. The graph on my bill always says that we're too high, right? So what, are they going to turn it off for certain parts of the day? Like what, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be too full on here. I'm going if they want to make our cities more sustainable and more, you know, livable and better infrastructure and better this and that, why are they measuring my water? 
Why are they measuring the air pollution? Like, like the only reason I'd be doing that is to make decisions to stop me using more water or to clean up the air, which I've no problem with us raining things in, right? But how are they going to make this happen? That's my thing. My, my question is, how far can they take this, right? And it might sound far-fetched, like, well, why, why, why wouldn't they? Why would they? But my question is, why wouldn't they? You know, their aim is to be environmentally friendly. I mean, what is the aim that we've all been hearing about when it comes to climate change? They are, they all have this, uh, um, this goal to reach zero net carbon emissions. Well, how are we going to reach that unless we start mandating turning things off? Like, I don't know, maybe we'll only be allowed to buy meat on certain days of the week, or maybe supermarkets will only be allowed to start selling vegan meat. Gross. Like, you know, that fake meat. Like, I, I don't know. All I know is they've done it before, right? Like they took away our free choice when it came to COVID mandates, right? Like if you were out when you weren't meant to be out, the police find you. If you weren't wearing a mask when you were meant to be wearing a mask, the police find you. Um, if you weren't vaccinated for everybody's safety, right, you would lose your job. So so please don't be like, oh, come on, Renee, you know, that's a bit far-fetched that they do all of that. But they've done it before, guys. Do you see what I'm saying? They've done it many times. So it, it is concerning. And I think a healthy sense of skepticism um, is something that we should all be exercising here, especially because there's meant to be ethical procedures around this. And I've not had one thing sent to my house or one notification um, that I've seen that lets me know that this smart technology and collecting all sorts of data is being rolled out in my area. We want to know about this. I want to be able to give consent for this, right? Like they're doing consent, con consent training in education, in schools, and yet they're kind of taking all of our data without our consent. Now, for me, this whole thing is actually the very antithesis of what God teaches us in scripture about how we should live our lives. Now, God obviously talks about government to keep order and to keep peace, but God also very clearly gives free will. He truly knows what is best for us, but he never actually forces anything upon us. So God doesn't control our behavior with mandates, right? He doesn't force us to believe scripture or force us to accept the death and resurrection of his son. Like it's our choice, right? That's why the Bible says, whosoever. It doesn't say everyone must, it's whosoever. And then within that, he goes a step further. And it's very clear in the New Testament when Jesus teaches us to take personal responsibility for our lives, right? And again, this is the antithesis of the internet of things. That's not us taking personal responsibility. That's us being tracked so that someone else can take responsibility for us. It's the antithesis of the concept of smart cities or smart anything. Our entire world and our entire lives are fast on the way to being controlled by devices and senses, taking away every ounce of personal responsibility. Again, my students were talking to me this week about it and they're like, Renee, it's wild. Like um, on a Thursday morning when I wake up, even though, even though it's not in my, my Google calendar that I'm coming to Academy, my phone will suggest that I'm most likely going into Woolloongabba today, and this is how long it's going to take me in the traffic. 
And then, and they were all, it was so funny listening to them. They're like, yeah, that like my phone's always given me suggestions about stuff. And, and, and it's true. Like I had, uh, something else came up on my phone just now. And it's like, you usually do this at this time. And I'm like, I do. I'm like, yes, I do. And so that's what I mean. Like we're being, um, you know, uh, rather than us having to take responsibility and and it's like all of these things are being taken out of our hands and we haven't even con- given consent for that to happen. And the thing is too, a lot of this is being sold under the guise of like for our safety or it's about equity or it's about sustainability. And, you know, like I said, I don't have a problem with keeping people more safe when it comes to crime. I don't have a problem on you know, reducing our waste and, and the air pollution, because I think we are way, 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 way over consumers. But I don't think that this is the answer to being over consumers. I mean, tracking our vehicles, they're talking, you know, keeping a record of our vaccinations, measuring how much water we're using, relying on wearables to tell us if we're healthy instead of our God, our body's God-given uh, inbuilt warning system, you know, using sensors to tell us our bins are full instead of us actually managing, managing our rubbish ourselves, you know, more CCTV cameras and sensors on lighting to track crime, which like I said, I'm not against but there's no mention of dealing with the issues of like broken families or fatherlessness, which is oftentimes what leads to crime, right? And is a huge contributor. Um, we're talking cars that even book themselves in for a service, right? Rather than us having to remember and do it. We're talking about health apps that schedule our growing array of so-called preventative tests. Um, you know, if roads, this this is on a website, guys, this is on a website called How Smart Cities Reduce Traffic Congestion with Technology, right? This is what they're saying will, is going to happen or is happening in certain parts of the world. If the roads are too congested, right, rather than us working it out and going, oh, it's always a little bit too busy that time of the morning, I'll go another way. Guess what? Drivers are going to be charged for using certain roads or zones during peak hour, it's all on this website. If emissions are too high, cars that give out more emissions, you're going to be charged a higher rate, right? You're going to be charged more when it comes around to paying for your registration. If your suburb doesn't engage in enough recycling, this website says, it literally says this, that you will be targeted with what they call behavior change. What? Where they mot- this is a word for word, where they motivate people to accept change through information, education, persuasion, and gamification. What the heck, guys? It is on this website. They will, they will uh, in- target you with behavioral change. Now, if they're going to target you with behavioral change when it comes to your recycling, do you think they're not going to target you with your behavioral change when it comes to using too much water or having too many car emissions or whatever. But what the heck is gamification? How are they going to target you with gamification? I looked it up, guys. Hold on to your seats. Hold on to your hats. Do you know what gamification is? It's the use of rewards or points. It's it's using, um, if you look it up, it actually talks about using game strategies, but in real life situations. I was like, what? Using rewards or points to get you to change your behavior. That sounds like a life score to me, which I talked about last week. So their their answer to all of this, to keeping us safer and bringing crime down and 
making our planet more sustainable is to treat us like dummies by creating smart cities, where they measure everything that we do, everything about us, and then target us on how we should change, right? I mean, how aptly named this is a smart city. Do they maybe figure if they call them a smart city that we're actually going to believe it? Like, wow, look, I'm living in a smart city. I'm living in a smart neighborhood, right? Like, is it kind of like we'll convince them by the name that we pick? But what they're actually doing is taking away all of our autonomy, all of our sense of personal responsibility, a lot of our freedom and actually dumbing us down because they are going to think for us. They're going to act for us and they're going to cut us out of the picture. Now, years ago, if there was a problem, society worked on it together to find a workable solution like humans worked on it, not data collection. It was about awareness and education so we could make good choices together, right? We weren't tracked. We weren't coerced. We weren't persuaded, manipulated, or gamified, rewarded to make changes. Now, the interesting thing is, and and I'll finish off here because there's a little bit of hope here, guys, as we finish off, right? Now, I said to you that smart cities are being rolled out around us without any consultation with the community, right? And we have zero idea where our data is being taken, who buy or where it's being kept, right? But why don't we know these things, right? Unless we actually go looking for it, which is why you need to get this episode and share it with everyone that you know. And I'm telling you, if you think, oh man, Renee sounds a bit cuckoo today, this is only stuff I have found right in front of me. I have found this stuff, guys. You can look it up. You will find it on your own council's website. You'll find it. It it is not hard to find any of this information. My biggest question around all of this is why are they doing it? Why? Why do we need all this tech and tracking? We don't. We don't need it. As far as I can see, the only beneficiary here are the corporations who are going to make more money. And we, the people, are going to be the complete losers here. They're getting so smart. They're trying to do away with the need for humans. And it turns out that like many things, guys, a lot of these smart cities have actually been trialed and failed. So that's the good news. They're they're trying to roll this out and it's actually failing. If you look up how many smart cities have failed, there is article after article. And I was like, oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. But the thing that's concerning, do you think Australia is listening to any of that? Do you think you know, do you think that's going to stop the global agenda? Oh, no way. Even though it's failing left, right, and center, they are still forging ahead. Australia is forging ahead. Now, the clip I played you earlier about Keyside in Toronto, that actually fell apart in 2020. They were going to do crazy things in Toronto, guys. They were even going to have um, moving roadsides, right? Get this where if the traffic started to get too full, they were going to, the the roadways were going to be able to move and narrow so that cars couldn't get through, which would force people um, and the pedestrian lanes would get wider. That's what I'm talking about, control. Well, it's too busy here, so we're going to force you to get out of your car by making the roadway narrower because the roadways could move and they would become wider pedestrian lanes, so you'd have to walk. They were, they were building tunnels, guys, 
with all of these like uh, like a conveyor belt in these tunnels. They called them dollies, where like if you say order something from Amazon, they would go on the dolly and be go underneath the city. Um, and it would be delivered via these dollies or these conveyor belts to your apartment. Like it is crazy, guys. It failed. Praise the Lord. It failed in most part because it was way too expensive. But the other reason it failed is because people didn't like it. There was so much criticism from residents and also from privacy advocates. Now, smart cities have failed in India, in Portugal, even in China. I mean, if China can't make it work, there's no hope, right? And Spain all failed. Trillions of dollars, guys, have been spent. A hundred billion dollar smart city was built in Malaysia. A hundred billion dollars. And we're talking US. Guess what? It failed. The utopia of smart cities is just that. It is imagined. And one that seems to, it has supposedly succeeded, guys, is one in South Korea called Songdo, S-O-N-G-D-O. And I'll finish with this. The one that they say has succeeded is that that one in, in South Korea, where every aspect of life is controlled by network computers from climate control to communications. But guess what? No one wants to live there. Nobody wants their business to be there, and it's only one third field. So it turns out that us humans just might be smart after all. There you go. I hope that has helped unpack that a little bit more. Um, And you know what? We, the people, guys, we actually have the power. We can push back by not engaging. I know a whole heap of my students the other day were like, I'm taking the face ID off my phone. Cause I'm like, guys, if you put face ID on your phone, like, hello, they're going to know, you know, very quickly be able to track your face, even when you're out in public. Like, oh my gosh, I'm taking it off. So anyway, I just think if we start saying no to these things, guys, take the autonomy back, take the personal responsibility back. I think that's the way to go. Guys, if this helped you, if you learned something today, if you appreciate, um, you know, this episode today, you can show your appreciation on the Buy Me A Coffee platform, which is on the show notes below or on my Instagram, girlnextdoor.podcast, or you can give a five-star review and a rep. I get that wrong every time. A five-star rating and a written review is also helpful. Guys, I love you so much. I cannot wait to be back with you next week. If there's something else that you guys have learned about, you know about, please send it to me. You guys often do send me bits of information and I really appreciate it because it's like you're my little researchers out there and I love it and it's helpful. So have a wonderful week and until next week, have a great one. Bye.